Hi, this is Linda M. Clay. I'm a business and lifestyle strategist, and you're listening to Annie Talks. Annie Talks, Annie Talks. Welcome to the show. Here we go with Annie Talks. Annie Talks, Annie Talks. Welcome to the show. Here's your host, it's Annie Talks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Annie Talks, where we bring to you interesting stories about interesting people that you want to know about. I'm your host, Annie Rivera. Thank you for tuning in and to those who have already subscribed. If you're new to the podcast, welcome, and I hope you enjoy what you hear. And if so, I personally invite you to subscribe. My next guest on the Annie Talk Show is Linda Clay. Linda is a female entrepreneur, speaker, author, motivator, change maker, business, and lifestyle strategist. She has lived a tumultuous and compelling life from an unwed mother while in her senior year of high school to the perfect marriage, grandchildren, and life. But the series of events that would soon follow over the course of several decades did not break her. Instead, she persevered, survived, and is thriving today. She's taking the many scenarios she's encountered and used them to empower other women to find their superpowers and be equally courageous. I do want to add that while speaking with Linda, I found that there were so many similarities and very parallel lives in that we dealt with diseases and, and sicknesses in our families. So and because our conversation was very intimate and very touching, the conversation went well over an hour. So this is a two-part series of episode 71. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Linda Clay. Hello, Linda. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really, truly appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome, Annie. I'm excited to be here and share with you my thoughts and uh, whatever else we can get out of our conversation. Yeah, definitely. So uh, why don't you fill in the gaps, uh, some of the things that we have not already said in the intro here, and um, tell a little bit more about who Linda is and um, who she is today. So your, your background and all, all that, that we can, you know, divulge and, and learn about Linda. Oh, sure. Um, my story start well, starts a long time ago, but... The biggest catalyst for my story in my story is I was 17 and I became an unwed mother in the 60s. And that was a definite no-no. Good girls didn't get pregnant. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of shame associated with that. Uh, most girls that did get pregnant either were sent away to a family member that was out of their community or they went to an unwed mother's home. And I ended up at an unwed mother's home. I was given a choice of, you know, like you could keep the baby, but boy, I'll tell you that, you know, really would kind of like ruin your life. Or mm -hmm. my parents could raise the child and it was like, nah, my dad was an alcoholic, so it wasn't something that I would, you know, had wanted to do. And so really the bottom line was there wasn't a choice. So I ended up at the unwed mother's home and part of the story was my sister, my poor parents, was pregnant at the same time and unwed. However, she was able to marry the father of her child. She was able to keep her child. And it's really just recently that I realized that 
in healing and working on myself, which is a lifelong journey, that that there, that whole time frame became this big, huge catalyst of my life and what I did with myself and the mm -hmm. path that I took because I was constantly trying to prove to myself I wasn't a bad person. Um, you know, I was, um, I'm, I've always been a really positive person, so, but I had this drive to always go after something more than what I had, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, several years later, um, I got married and I had two children. And as life goes on, I <clears throat> ended up going to work and having a career in, the, in retail. And through that, I got with a company and started moving around. And again, that push, that drive to constantly, I mean, I was never satisfied. I always had to do better because by doing better, that proved to me that I was worthy. Mm -hmm. And we went through, um, when the kids were young, we went through some really tough, very um, times of poverty when we didn't have money. My husband wasn't working. This is before I took a job. And so when I got into that career, I had this drive and I worked my way up and got into a position of upper management. And um, meanwhile, my oldest daughter was entering her early teens and she became addicted to substances. Mm -hmm. So as I was propelling myself in this career in retail, I was now dealing with a daughter who um, had a substance abuse problem and what as any mother would, you want to bandage the hurts. You know, mm -hmm. it's like a little child comes home with a bang knee and you put a bandaid on it and you kiss them and say, make it all better. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, at first I tried to do that and then that didn't work. And I tried all these different things and I finally realized that I couldn't fix this. It was out of my control. So there was a grieving process associated with that because you have this ideal version or this idyllic version of your children and what the world is to them. But then mm -hmm. you come to realization that, geez, they really have their own path. You can't create the path for them. They have to walk their own path. So her battle with drugs and alcohol has been well over 30 years. She still battles homelessness. So we're working on that, but it's been a never ending story for her. So wow. that's part of my story. And mm -hmm. then, Meanwhile, my career was blossoming and I was offered a store manager position. And that was like, you know, the coveted role. You wanted to become a store manager. Mm -hmm. The problem with it, I was offered a store in this place that I didn't want to go to. So I said, well, I really don't want to move there. I don't want to move my family there. And I was flat told that if I didn't take that store, I would never become a store manager. Wow. It's pretty typical with corporations, you know. Sure. Sure pull that kind of thing. So I went, tough, tough, tough two years followed. Um, the pressure was tremendous. The company itself was going through some major, major changes. They were having some financial issues. And what I didn't know during that two-year period, I was being used as, as an example. So mm -hmm. um, expectations were given to me. If I didn't meet them, then I was, you know, it was like I would get in trouble kind of thing. And then I was used like, oh, watch out, see what's happening to Linda kind of stuff. Wow. So you were kind of the <laughs> guinea pig. <laughs> yeah, the guinea pig. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. And so I ended up realizing that I was on the verge of being fired. That's the truth. And wow. that was like totally devastating. I'd never been fired in my life. And so um, I decided to quit. Mm. So I gave a um, 
you know, I talked to them <clears throat> and I resigned. And it all worked out because it actually led me to the best career I've ever had. And that was with um, Barnes and Noble. And mm -hmm. I became a store manager for them in the store, the largest store west of the Mississippi. It was mm -hmm. 45,000 square feet of books. There was a cafe. There was a music department. It was just like amazing. And I happened to be a book lover. So it was mm -hmm. like, you know, going Christmas every single day as the books would come in and we would, I could see who, you know, what new books were coming out and all this kind of stuff. It was like, right. you know, this nice little calm period in my life, building the store. We opened that year with a $10 million, I think was the sales. Mm -hmm. And every year after that, we added a million dollars. So in the five years I was there, we doubled the volume, basically. Had a 50, wow. I guess was how you'd say it. Mm. But it also led to um, what I call my WTF year. Oh. So, <laughs> I won't swear. <laughs> but right. It was. So um, let's back up real quick. Yeah. I just want to ask you a quick question because you Absolutely. said that the, the, the position, the, the store management position that they offered to you um, for, and you were there for two years now, was that away from your hometown or where you were right. living at currently? So you basically uprooted your family and right. moved to a new location. Right. So that in and of itself is, is already, you know, um, challenges. Right. And so there starts a new world of challenges. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it was a totally different, I mean, I grew up in Seattle, so where right. I moved to had a totally different um, demographic. Okay. Totally different types of people, not meaning that they're, you know, it's a negative. It's just mm -hmm. that you're uprooting. My kids were in high school. Oh, they had to go to yeah. a brand new high school. Mm hmm um, you know, the, the culture was different. Um, the social expectations were different. There was a mm -hmm. lot that you're working on within besides trying to run a store. Sure. And, you know, one of the first things that I ran into was because the company was trying to save money. Mm -hmm. The first things that they did, they used to, they had in-house housekeepers, you know, basically on payroll, people that would come in and clean the store. So it would look really great for the customer to come in the next day. Well, mm -hmm. they decided to eliminate that position. Oh, no. So who was then made responsible to do that? Was that you? I had to, yes. Oh, no. <laughs> that was my first act as a store manager. Was okay. Was to lay off these people that were dearly loved by the oh. store mm -hmm. and then hire outside help to keep the store clean. Ah, okay. So, you know, so, so talk talk about the WTF, the WTF year. Yeah, <laughs> we'll go forward now. Yes. Uh, so while I was at Barnes and Noble, my husband developed diabetes, and, mm. and so you know we got him on medicine, we got him his diet and all this. And my kids now were um, late teens, early twenties, um, <clears throat> and my. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, oldest daughter had a clean period, what she can, um, just to kind of backtrack, she has, she's bipolar. So she can have, she'll have periods of where she's able to function really well. Mm -hmm. And then she had periods where it, she would go off the deep end. She in fact told me that it's like she can control herself for two years and then that's it. So in that two year time pe period, she had my granddaughter. Mm -hmm. So, 
Um, anyway, so my husband has diabetes and, you know, that's fine. That's, you can control that with diet and medication and all that. Right. And then all of a sudden he starts talking about his side hurting. And so we go to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, it's just your diabetes. You know, just keep doing what you're doing. You know, we'll monitor your blood sugars and all this kind of stuff. And, but that pain never went away and it kept getting worse and it kept getting worse. And this is over a period of several months. And then um, I noticed, though, that it was getting worse and worse and nobody would listen to him. So we were trying like natural things. We we're trying all kinds of things to get that pain under control because mm-hmm. nobody was hearing us. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, Bruce and I had talked about um, we created kind of like a five-year dream plan. And by now, my oldest daughter had um, her husband had left her. She kind of went off again. Mm, And so Bruce and I were taking care of our granddaughter. I was working. He was my granddaughter's sole caregiver while I worked. But he kept getting, uh, I don't know, it was like sicker, but I don't think that's the right word. But so one of his health was declining. Yeah. Yeah. But, and nobody was listening to us. So we um, had part of the plan was to purchase a home and because we knew we were going to have to take care of our granddaughter, so she would have a place to you know, play. We were living in the city at the time. So we purchased this home. We're all excited. We get it approved, and we're getting ready to move. And the day we're moving, he was in so much pain, Annie, that he couldn't help at all. And thank mm-hmm. goodness we had a bunch of kids from, that we had known from our um, girls, all friends of theirs, come and help us move because he actually laid down in the back of one of the cars all the way to the house. Couldn't come back. Couldn't. So I knew in my head, how do I put this? You know, in your head, Mm -hmm. but you don't want to face things sometimes when things seem like they're like not quite right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so we move into the house and then I have to go right away to a business meeting in New York. So I go off for a week and I come back and my youngest daughter picks me up and she looks at me and she said, I had to pick you up because dad was in so much pain. She said, mom, I had to take him to the urgent care because there was something wrong. She said, uh-uh. but the urgent care couldn't figure out what was wrong. Right. So I get back there and my husband goes, no, I'm okay. You know, don't worry about it. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I believe him because <laughs> I yeah. want to, you know, I want to believe him. You know, we yeah, have been married. Yeah up to this point, like 28 years. And so um, anyway, so within a week, I have him back at the urgent care. I have, they send me to the emergency room with them. So we go to the emergency room because they don't know what's causing this extreme pain. Right. And the emergency room just went, we don't know. You got, you need to go to a doctor. Here's some referrals. Hmm. Because we were new to the area. So we take this doctor, we pick him out and we start going to this doctor and he's puzzled. So he does all kinds of blood work, Mm -hmm. you know, blood test after blood test after blood test. And finally he tells us, he goes, I have one more test I want to run. It's going to take a while to get the results back because it has to go to California. Uh So keep in mind, this was 20 years ago. So I was just you know, going to ask, yeah, yeah, what was that time period? Because yeah, it, it was, I feel as though that medicine has definitely advanced since. Right, but right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so it was 20 years ago. So 
we wait, we get the call, we go back into the doctor and the doctor just looks. And to be honest with you, I don't think my husband was in there. I think he was in the waiting room. He could have been okay, okay but um, my mind kind of now for this time frame going forward kind of gets a little fuzzy. Um, anyway, so the doctor just says, you know, I have to refer you to an oncologist. And of uh -oh. course, I knew what that meant. Sure. You know, and I go, okay. And he goes, what hospital do you want to go to? Mm. And I go, hospital? You mean mm. he's going to have to end up in the hospital? Yeah. I, I don't want to cry on the podcast. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. It's still, you know, you get, you learn to, right. it, but sometimes it comes. Um, anyway, so I to we told him we which hospital and stuff. And so he refers us to um, an oncologist and he starts doing tests and he finds, he said, what Bruce has is called multimyelinoma, which mm. is a blood cell cancer, which is inside the bone. So it gets into the marrow. Right. So when they did the um, MRI, or no, I think it was a CAT scan, one of them, they found that the cancer was all halfway up his spine. And oh that was creating that pain in his side. So give me a time frame. This, so the time that you came back from or when you went to New York, mm -hmm. um, and then you came back and then more tests and then, and then referral to the oncologist. What what what? How much time are we looking at right there? Is that a two, three week or a oh, month? Oh, I think or? it was probably a, about a month. A month, okay. Maybe a little bit over a month. Okay. And so they start treatment. Mm -hmm. They tell us he has two and a half to five years. That's usually the life expectancy back then for multimyelinoma. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And part of the issue with multimyelinoma is you can have it five to 10 years before and it's it. detected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so they put him in the hospital to, because they were concerned about how he might react to the chemo. So we spent a week in the hospital. Um, and he seemed, it was, he seemed fine. Um, mm -hmm. he was doing radiation, you know, and all that. So he and I, you know, make a two and a half to five year plan. What are we going to okay. get done? You know, we want to make sure that we maximize our time together right. and, um, then, but he's not getting better. Hmm. Yeah. That's what we noticed. He wasn't getting better. And so, in fact, he started losing weight, which you don't lose weight with multimyelinoma. So, really? okay. yeah, no, it's not one of the ones that, <clears throat> so they decided that it was his diabetes. So they had him drink like unsure, you know, protein drinks. And by now he was taking insulin by shot form and mm. we were helping him with that. And our whole life was now became, you know, like this focus on what's going on, why are mm -hmm. things not working, how right. do we get them through? And he was still having the pain. It was excruciating. Um, and so finally, um, yeah, we were having to give him morphine shots, mm -hmm. you know, and by doing the morphine shots, you have to be careful because if you give too much, they can hallucinate, which we had an episode of that. That was frightening. Um, yeah, so all this stuff is going on. Meanwhile, of course, I'm a store manager of a multi-million dollar store. Right. So I'm trying to juggle my days, work as much as I can, yet be there for my husband, for my two adult children, for my granddaughter. <clears throat> so all this is going on over a very short period of time. 
Mm-hmm. So um, finally, July 4th came. We had a bunch of the kids that adored my husband. He was kind of like a, um, all the kids gravitated to him because he right. understood the kids' minds. And so these young men just, thought, they called him Big Daddy. He was like their second dad, I guess. And so a week or so after um, July 4th, I go to work. My daughter calls me. She says, Mom, you've got to come home. There's something wrong with Dad. And she said, his feet are swollen and the skin's breaking. So I said, okay, I'm on my way. Mm -hmm. So he couldn't even walk at this point. So we got a friend who helped us get him in the car. We took him to the doctor. And the doctor just said, you've got to go back in the hospital. We've got to figure mm-hmm. out what's going on here, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he goes, he gets in the hospital. I spend the whole week there. I sleep there. I'm taking on nursing duties because they're so short-staffed. Oh, that, wow. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm measuring urine. I'm doing all this kind of stuff. And um, he kept complaining of his stomach area hurting now. Hmm. So it was like, okay, so every single day he would complain. Nobody would listen. Finally, the nurse practitioner came in. It was like on a Thursday, I think. And we told her, and she said, let's order a CAT scan. So they ordered a CAT scan, and the results came back, and he had another kind of cancer. What kind? He had bile duct cancer. So, Okay, I'm going to stop you right here. Okay. Because here is where I'm going to... cry. Oh no. I'm sorry. I lost my dad to bile duct cancer as well. As you were talking and leading up to this story or leading up to this, this part of the story, it sounded all too familiar. It became, the memories just flashed, flooded right back because this is exactly what my dad went through. We lost him three years ago. I know this is not my story. This is your story. And I can tell you right now, I completely 100% relate and understand everything that you went through. Because we thought the same. We thought the same. It was his diabetes. We thought it was his high blood pressure. We thought so many different things. And then when we finally got the, the diagnosis that it was bile duct, bile duct cancer, and, and, you know, the amount of research that my brother and my mom and I did to find out where exactly is that? We knew it was in such, it was in a place, it was, it was located in his body that, where it was, we knew the inevitable was going to happen. We knew mm-hmm. it because, because there, it, the, where, where it was located. Right. Right. Yeah. So. Oh God. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I mean, I completely understand. So, and I know what you what you went through emotionally. My mom went through that too. We watched my mom go through this. We were there for her. We, you yeah. know, we did everything we could to help support her, and and of course, be mm-hmm. there for my dad. And and at one point, he actually, you know, had he went into remission. And you know, I have a story about that. But that's this is not my story. This is your story. <laughs> but I have a story about that. And and, and um, I don't know if you saw the picture on my. Um, on my 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 uh, cover picture for for Annie talks, it's a picture of I have my back toward the audience, and mm-hmm. you see it was a picture uh, taken at Point Loma, 
Mm-hmm. It's here in San Diego, and it was when my dad was his healthiest. He was, he was in remission, wow. and it was he was his healthiest. And I just remember he said he wanted to go, wow. you know, watch my he wanted to go watch my one of my my youngest son play basketball. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Are you sure? Are you sure? It's way up. It's way down in San Diego, and we're we're at the peninsula and all this." And he mm-hmm. says, "Yeah, we he." He wanted to go on the peninsula, peninsula and take a look at the beach. And, um, but my father, nothing stopped my father. He won, not only did he want to go look at the beach and look at the pier or the, um, the view and at the top of the peninsula, but this man walked down. And I don't mean walk like gingerly. I, I, I want to say he basically ran down the hill because he lost his footing at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and he ended up down at the bottom of the peninsula and, and just so he could get a take a closer look at, oh. the, at the ocean. And that picture that I took there, uh, actually my mother took that picture, is my reminder of my father of, of the time when he was this yeah. obvious. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Let's no. You go don't, back to you. Please. Don't, don't apologize. <laughs> uh, any, well, I'll tell you in just a second what yep. you reminded me of. But so, and the funny, you know, and it's not funny, but I guess it's ironic. When they did that CAT scan and found the multimyelinoma, there was no sign of mm-hmm. the bile duct cancer. Right. But by the time, you know, this was only a period of three months. By the time yeah. they told, they found it, it was, he was completely covered inside with that. So, so his bilirubin was that was that raised? I mean, his levels must have been high. Did you have any um, t- like telltale signs of um, jaundice? Because no, my no. father had a lot of uh, his eyes were so yellow, his face oh, was no, so no. yellow that that's how we knew that it had to be uh, something internal. Something was blocked. He, right. had, he had blockage, of co- as you know, as as yeah. you know how bile duct cancer evolves into so yeah yeah so the doctor basically sat us down and said the chemo for multimyelinoma won't work on the bile duct mm-hmm. chemo for bile duct cancer won't work on the multimyelinoma you can't mm-hmm. have two chemos or you'll you know and so I followed the doctor out and I said so what you're telling me is that there's nothing you can do and he goes yes and I said then I want to take him home because he's not mm-hmm. going to die here in the hospital so he released him and I took him home. He wasn't terminal at that point. You know, they hadn't given the terminal diagnosis. And so the hospice nurse came. She instructed me on how to take care of the ulcerated sores. She instructed me on how to change IVs because she was not going to be able to, insurance wouldn't cover it. So I became the nurse for the, there was like 10 more days left. So for 10 days, I nursed him. And I changed his IVs. You know, the first time I did that, I did it wrong. So blood was squirting out everywhere, and I was in a panic. <laughs> and I had I had a caller, and she walked me through it so I could do it correctly. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're not, you know, you when you go through situations like this in life, you become like um, it's like you're having an out of body experience. Yeah. So like you you're physically doing these these tasks that you have to do to keep survive, you know, to survive, but your mind is not necessarily there because you're, you, you're not able to really, the idea that my husband was going to be gone, he wasn't even 50 years old, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it was like, really seriously, (laughs) you know, that's where the WTF comes from. Um, (laughs) So um, he lasted 10 days 
And Mm -hmm. your comment about the ocean was one of um, friends of ours. I had called to let them know they were going to come up and see us. And friends of ours were coming up because they were going to take him to the beach for the last time. Mm -hmm. Because he was a water boy. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Anyway, it didn't happen. But um, two weeks after Bruce died, my oldest daughter tried to commit suicide. And I found her. My goodness. And so corporate America being corporate America gave me two weeks off. So I was able to extend that for another week. Um, Thank goodness, giving me three weeks. But but after those two huge things, I walk into Christmas in retail, which is, you know, it's the time of year where you've got to pump it up. You've got to be excited. You've got to have everything in place. So there were several other, I think, I think by the time the nine months were up from the time um, Bruce died to the next spring, there were five to six total major life crises that happened to me that oh involved goodness. either my career, family, my losing my husband, my daughter, you know, and all that. Right. I ended up becoming a single parent to my granddaughter who was two and a half. And I went into severe clinical depression and suffered oh, wow. from PTSD. And so I took a two-year respite, really, um, a a two-and-a-half-year. I mean, I went on disability. I didn't didn't want to leave the depressed state. And it was because it was safe. You know, depression is is awful. It's, um, it, you know, attacks your self-esteem, attacks your confidence level, you know, your little... I call them chitty chatty voices love to shout and cover up all the positive out there. But still it was safe because if I went out into the real world, I could get hurt again. And um, so my granddaughter and I move, um, we moved to an Island outside of the Seattle area. And I had someone there that I connected with that if it hadn't been for her and my granddaughter, I'm not sure what my path would have, done but this friend was like an angel and she made sure that I got out she made sure that I um didn't stay in the you know in the house that I still had connection with life so fast forward a couple years and my disability is running out Mm -hmm. I had applied for social security disability which to be honest with everyone is a pretty degrading process (sighs) yeah um and anyway, they denied me. They sent me oh, a letter wow. and they said, oh, no, you're, you know, even though the doctors are saying, no, she's severely depressed, she can't work. They said, no, she can. She can work at McDonald's. So. Oh, what a slap in the face, I right? <laughs> Goodness. So I like. You go work at McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. I know. Really? You're severely depressed. You're anxious. You want to work at McDonald's. I don't think so. <laughs> but anyway. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So. That was a wake-up call, and to this, I tell everyone now that that was the universe's way of saying, Alinda, this is enough. You have too much to give the world. You've got to snap out of this, and you've got to heal, and you've got to move on because you've got stuff to do. 
Well, that's it, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Annie Talks and learning about Linda Clay. Be sure to tune in next week for part two. You can follow Linda along on her social media and check out her website. I will have all that information down below in the show notes, so be sure to check them out. Now, before you go, if you aren't already subscribed to my podcast, I invite you to hit subscribe, and that way you'll be notified anytime we upload a new episode. If you are subscribed to my podcast thank you so much please be sure to rate and review this podcast and add a comment as well it will help others to find this podcast too you can follow annie talks on social media facebook instagram twitter and snapchat i'll have all that information down in the show notes below as well thank you all so much for tuning in and keep listening to annie talks Hi, I'm Linda M. Clay, a business and lifestyle strategist, and you're listening to Annie Talks.